family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage, for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, Ford and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more, using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. I'm your host, Rick Strong, president of Paradigm Security Services, and welcome to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm. We are excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We're coming to you from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Please, will you go to and hit that subscribe button on any of the formats that you're using, any of the platforms. Each week, we plan to feature businesses and people in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. And while all businesses and uh, have security concerns, not all are about physical security. And we'll touch on that and some related aspects of the show. But this is one of those shows where we're going to do a personal interview rather than a business interview. And I am so happy today to have my guest, Dr. Candace Taylor. She is a Georgia educator and also a, a candidate for the U.S. Senate. You may not have heard about her, which is uh, something that she's like to get out, and, and you know, she's running for a very popular seat that I will uh, let her explain to you. But, Candace, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. Well, let me ask you this. I always start out with, who is Candace Taylor? Where do you come from? What do you do? And how did you get to doing what you're doing? Wonderful. So I am from South Georgia. I'm the only candidate from South Georgia, and there's 21 of us. So that's a bunch of people in this Whoa. field, in this jungle primary. I am an educator. I've been in, I'm on my 18th year in public education. My husband's also an educator. So we are middle class America, working class. I have three children, and so I'm a mother. And I just love our government. I actually hate politics, which is <laughs> kind of crazy for me to run for the seat. It's understandable. But I, but I love the Constitution of the United States of America. And I just, I want to do something about it. I'm tired of looking at the ballot and having to choose between the lesser of evils. And I decided I can't complain if I'm not willing to do something about it. Well, you know, that's uh, kind of the way it is. If you, if Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of people out there willing to complain about it. And, and then they crawl back in their back rooms and keep their mouth shut and don't get out and it won't go participate. vote and won't go vote and that's something we need for everybody to do regardless is to go vote make an informed decision which is one of the reasons why i'm glad that you're on because i if people are going to vote they need to be informed about who's running and then make their decisions do you have any political experience i know you've got a lot of education but do you have political experience what happened to me was six years ago, I finished my PhD in counseling at Regent University in Virginia, and Dr. Ben Carson was my commencement speaker, and he challenged graduates to get involved in government. He said, if we don't, we're going to lose our republic, and so I really felt it resonated with me, and I felt 
a calling from God that day that I would run for a big seat one day. And I say a big seat because he really talked a lot about the federal government and how our founding fathers intended on it to be normal, everyday Americans running for these seats. But we feel intimidated and don't do it. And we have to get the rhinos out and we got to get out the people who are only bought off by lobbyists and special interest. And when Ben Carson made his presidential bid in 2016, I got involved with his campaign. I was his county leader for Athlone County, and my husband was for Jeff Davis, our neighboring county. And we you know, made calls and did grassroots efforts, got signs out for him, did all that. And so I got a little taste of politics then, but that's the only campaign I've worked on outside of some local you know, campaigns, helping them put out signs and things. But definitely this did not prepare me to qualify and run for U.S. Senate, and everything I have been faced with in the past six months has been crazy and i hear that but why did you decide to start with senate not something that uh you know town council or something like that but to actually start for one of the big offices of senator for one thing i can't you know run for a state office or a local office being an educator i can't take time off work like that you know it was it wouldn't wouldn't go with my contract and my schedule so it has to be something i do instead of but that's not the only reason. The main reason is because I feel like we need normal everyday people in these elected positions. And that's why President Trump has resonated with people so much because he went from businessman to president and people that love Ben Carson. He went from neurosurgeon to, to running for president. We need normal people. And you'll see across the state in the last election, there are so many seats that were overturned and, and put people were placed in there that had never been in office before because we're tired of it. We don't trust these people anymore. They go up there, they sell their soul to the devil, they get all the money from big tech and special interest, and then they're controlled by them. They're not representing us. And we have a representative democracy for a reason. Half of the Congress is our lawyers, and there's nothing wrong with a lawyer, but half of society is not lawyers. And so we are supposed to be representative of the people, then we need every walk of life and every career represented there. You can be empathetic with me and you can try to be compassionate, but if you've never lived on a budget and you've never had to tell your children, we can't buy that this week, we've got to wait till payday, you don't know what it's like to represent me and make laws and decisions for me. And so I decided to step up and be that voice for the people for normal working class America. Well, and the, and the idea of having people in there that understand that, you know, these laws should apply to everybody. A lot of the people we've got in there making laws nowadays seem to somehow manage to make them except for the people that are working and making the laws. Uh, it's kind of like the not... insider trading, that like the Senate can have information and then not be held accountable, but then Martha Stewart went to prison for it. Exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. We should, you as senators and congressmen in the, in the House – they should be held to a higher standard than us, not a lower standard. I don't disagree whatsoever. And there is not a standard there anymore, it seems like, for a lot of them. Well, let me ask you this. If you're elected and to this office of Senate, what will you be your focus, your main focus, or some of your focuses as far as, you know, of what you're going to do? Well, two term limits, first of all. If it's good enough for the governor and it's good enough for the president, it's good enough for the Senate, especially when you have a six-year term. We have to get term limits. Some of these people have been in there 40 years. 
they're so bought off. They're so out of touch with reality. It wasn't intended to be a career. It was intended to be a place that you go serve and you come home to your family and to your career and work. And that's got to happen. Term limits have to happen. 80% of the populace, including Democrats, Republicans and Democrats, they want term limits. Well, they tried to bring that about last year. And Ted Cruz, if you look on it on YouTube, you can watch the Senate debates about it. He actually pushed for that on his committee and it was flipped. 20% of the Senate voted for term limits and 80% didn't. So they were a reverse of what their constituents want. And that's gotta that's gotta be that's gotta change. We gotta get people in there that want that want term limits. I'm only gonna do two terms whether the term limits in effect or not. There's plenty of smart people in Georgia who love the Constitution and the country that can go and serve. And I just believe when you get up there, it starts changing you and you lose touch with who you are and lose touch with the people. Can't stay there that long. Another thing I want is their tax. Our vice president, Mike Pence, wants a fair tax and Ben Carson ran on a fair, fair tax principle. I feel like we all need the same skin in the game. And when I'm paying 34% taxes and other people have tax, hole, tax shelters and loopholes and they're not paying taxes, they don't get it. And so when they make laws and codes and all these things they're doing up there, they don't understand what it's like to be me and be you. And so we have to get somebody up there that understands and can, and can get it worked out. I have been air supporting me that also want a fair tax because they're working class America. They truly are the American dream and went from hard working, blue collar working to mil, to multi-millionaire billionaire status and they still want fair tax because they say you know their workers some of them don't pay taxes they get all their tax money back we need a consumption tax so it's fair that's the only way to be fair i have absolutely no problem i've always been a supporter of, of the fair tax the biggest problem is the fair tax is the misrepresentation that is done by by the media by a lot of the liberal uh, and some of the conservative they just don't really understand what the fair tax is or they understand and they don't want it. Uh, and I right. think it might tend to be more the, the latter than the, than the former. But, you know, the fair tax is, a, is a, literally a fair tax if you really get down into it and read it and understand it. So I'm with you there. So you're talking about term limits and fair tax and our, in our, basically our dealing with our taxation as two of your primary focuses. Right. And then another one is mental health. I'm, I have a background in mental health and we have a huge mental health crisis in America. We can see it with the opiate epidemic and the jails have become holding places for mentally ill. Nine years ago, we closed a lot of inpatient treatment facilities. We, in Georgia alone, we released 9,000 residents on the street. And these are people that are not taking their medication. They don't have means to get their medication and nobody to help them and 90% of them are still homeless. And it's a huge issue. And to me, they're the most vulnerable population outside of children mentally ill and we have to help them. And if they don't have a voice and people in government don't care because they don't have to deal with it, but it's us on in our communities that are seeing the rise of our own children with, with drugs and with crime rates going up from stealing to get drugs, we need it addressed. No, there's not one household that does not have an effect of drug abuse on the family. And so we have to do better with that. And we can. We're the leading nation of the world. We're smart. And we can figure that out and, and get the experts at the table and let's fix the problem. Totally agree. You know, and mental health is a big one. But, you know, health care overall is a biggie. And it's really, 
you've got people on both sides just going to the far ends of each way. And, you know, what is your position uh, as far as the health care situation, as far as what we should do, whether we do total health care uh, like a socialist country or whether we do competitive and marketplace health care? Where do you stand on that? Free market capitalism. That's what our country is about, you know, founded on. That's what works. That's what has made us the greatest land in the world. I don't know why people want to change things and make them. They're trying to make it fair. I understand. But we need less government, not more. We're already outside of our budget. I had a congressman tell me, you know, it doesn't matter if we have no extras added. Just the operation of the federal government and what's already promised out with, with legislation, we don't meet budget. That's a huge issue. That means every year, no matter what they decide in Congress, we're going to be going into our national debt further. And it's making our dollar unstable. And Ben Carson, this is what resonated with me when he spoke. Dr. Carson said, if we, if the dollar was not the world currency and there was a euro, the one or whatever, and the world leaders decided, okay, the dollar's not stable, we're not going with the dollar. In three months, we'd be a third world nation. That scared me to death. That's why I said, oh, I'm running for office one day. we got to fix this. we got to quit this, this spending. And that's why it freaked me out when I started borrowing all these trillions for the COVID crisis. And I understand we had to have it and we're in a something we've never faced before. But we have to have a strategic plan to get this national debt paid down. It is out of control. And that's why things cost so much and inflation. And But it makes our economy unstable and we have to get it fixed. I know that it seems like lately everybody that goes in talks about a balanced budget, but nobody ever does anything about it. So maybe you'll get an opportunity if you get there to uh, help try and put some you know breaks on this spending stuff. Well, they've asked. I've been asked, what are you going to cut? I said, well, the IRS, if we do a fair tax, that's a huge department. Yep. Then we'll go to, and I'm an educator. And so they're like, well, what about the Department of Education? And I'm like, I'll start dismantling it too, because it's a state right in the Constitution we need autonomy in the classroom. We need the federal government to get out. And that's Absolutely. what I feel like. And I teachers feel like that too. They don't have autonomy. They're the most educated people on the planet, but they're not treated like that. They're given a script. They're pushed, do this, do this, do this. Let them teach. Give them standards and let them teach. Sounds like an excellent plan to me. Well, what would you say is the, the biggest challenge that you faced during your campaign here? I faced a lot of challenges. One thing is going again, everything though comes back to one issue. It's the establishment. Okay. So I faced challenges in fundraising because I'm an educator. I'm not a salesman. So I'm straight up honest and people want to give to you. But then if you don't have a chance that they think, Oh, well, you don't have a chance. They don't want to invest give. their money there. Mm -hmm. Right. We, Cause you want to make a good investment. Now that I'm picking up speed and I'm picking up momentum, I'm having more money come in. But that's that was a challenge, especially at first, to get the ball, ball rolling. And then another thing is going to GAP meetings, and this and they're part of the establishment, and they're supposed to be for all Republican candidates. We qualify to run Republican. I've been a Republican my entire life. I go, and I've been told by four Republican GOP chairs that I'm not allowed to speak at their meeting. And it's understood that if you show up as a candidate, you get at least two minutes, even if you show up and you're unannounced. But if you call ahead, you're supposed to get five to 10 minutes. And that's understood in our, in our party. But yet I've been told, no, you can't speak because they're for one of the other candidates running and they want to blackball me. 
And it's really disheartening and unfortunate because they're not giving their voters a chance to hear from all the candidates. That's our beautiful, that's the beautiful thing about America. We get to choose who we want to vote for. And I don't vote for who represents you the best. That's what I always tell everybody. If it's me, that's working class America, that's never ran for anything, and I'm going to go fight for you like I fought against sex offenders my entire career as a school counselor to put them in bars, vote for me. If it's a billionaire who made money on the COVID crisis, vote for her. If it's a 15-year career politician who votes Democrat half the time, vote for him. Vote for who represents you the best, but don't be controlled and manipulated by the party and by other people that's empowered because they're the establishment. That's the problem well i think everybody needs to be heard and you would think and i know i did that for all intents and purposes there were only two candidates running for this senate yeah. you would think that by listening to the news media and the support and all that but uh, you said there you know how many counted candidates actually running so 21, six 21. Republican, eight Democrat, five independents, a Libertarian, and a Green Party. Wow. And nobody thinks there's anything but two. You know, that that says a Many lot. Talk. Yep. Many talks. Many Yep. Well, you know, well, amen to that part. If you do get elected, how will you be able to, tra- to stay true to yourself and not become like these others that you're talking about that get elected? I've asked myself this question several times. I've had other people ask me this and I just know who I am. I know who I am in the Lord. I know who I am as a person. I've turned down money already from a very big super pack because they wanted me to initial and sign off on, I would not do this. I would do this and represent them. And I told them, you know, y'all need the money, but I'm not going to go up to represent you. I'm going to represent the people or I'll stay home. If I can't represent the people, I'm just going to stay home. And I think that other people get up there and they start taking this money because you feel pressure to, even as far as what committee you're put on in the, in the house and the Senate depends on how much fundraising you've done. And they feel pressure to take the money, but then they're owned by the, they're owned by big business. They're owned by big tech. They're not, they're not able to represent the people. And so I'm just, you know, I may only make it one term because I may not, you know, I may not make it because I won't take the money, but I'm not going to be bought off. I'm not going to sign my life away. I'm not going to be blackmailed and I'm going to stay true to who I am. And that's how I'm going to be different because I know who I am in the Lord. And he's going to go, he's going to put me there and he's going to sustain me while I'm there. Well, I think that if you look at it like that and you stay true to that, you'd make a damn good senator. Thank you. Um, what would you say to others who may be thinking of running for political office? Because I know that coming from where you do as an educator uh, and never having particularly made that decision to run for anything, I know that you faced a lot of challenges moving into this and, and probably a lot of challenges in making the initial decision to move on it. So what would you say to others who may be thinking about that? I would say to do it, do it. If you have a desire in your heart to run for office and represent, do it. It's a brave thing to go and put your name on a ballot. And that's been said in several of the meetings I'm in, and they're exactly right. Because when you write your name on the ballot, you're opening your whole life, any mistake you've had, if you've been divorced, anything that's happened, you're opening it up to be scrutinized by the media who are ruthless and they are the driving force behind the career politicians. The media is just as corrupt, if not more corrupt than government. And so 
you're asking, not your media, but I'm talking about these big networks no, that are bought <laughs> off by lobbyists. You probably don't have lobbyists giving you millions of dollars, Reed. Uh, no, I don't have them give me 50 cents. <laughs> but I'm talking about the people that are owned by, just like the, the politicians are owned, they're owned too. And these people control the narrative. And so it's a risk when you write your name on the ballot and you go qualify, you, you know you're going to be attacked. But do it because we can't be silenced. You know, political correctness is what's got our country in the mess it's in. As Christians and as working class America, we've been busy working and going to church and cooking supper and taking our kids to practices. And we've trusted the people we've elected to do their job, but they haven't done their job. They haven't represented us. They've sat there and become fat cats financially and power and with power. And we've sat here and we have realized, you know, buildings being burned down around us and the people that are burning down buildings have never built one. And we're looking at this and we're angry that they're coming into our cities and doing this. It's because we have sat back quiet and not want to offend anybody. So it's time the the church and the normal working day people are waking up and they're realizing it and they're going to stop it. And so if you feel in your heart, it's time to run, you do it. We got to do it. We got to get them all out. Well, I can tell you political correctness today is killing this country. Uh, You've got to learn to speak your mind. You've got to have the tolerant uh, ability to be tolerant, to listen to other people speak their mind. And the party that uh, claims to be the most tolerant party that is there is actually totally intolerant of anything that's against their views. Uh, They're tolerant as long as you agree with them. But, you know, God bless you and look out for the hell to rain if you don't. That's right. Well, you know, you say you're Republican. But, you know, conservatism and republicanism are two different things in a lot of times. And what would you say, um, let's just say, how conservative are you? What do you, are you a conservative or are you Republican or are you both? Or how do you describe yourself? Well, I'm probably the most conservative one running in that I'm a constitutionalist. I'm more of a constitutionalist than a Republican because... I'm going to protect the Constitution 100% of the time. And if you look at our senators and our U.S. congressmen, most of them are at 50 to 75, most at 50. that They're liberal half the time. And so they're not protecting the Constitution half the time. And if you, Derek Grayson that's running against me, he likes to ask this. He likes to say, how much of the Constitution are you willing to give up? Half of it? 20% of it, 10%. And we're like, no, we don't want to give up any of it. Okay, well, you've elected people that are not representing it 100% of the time. And he's exactly right. And so I think, you know, for me, I want less spending. I want to trim government down. I want to work myself out of a job. The government should be small at the national level. It was created to be small. I want freedom. What people don't understand is, is when they start getting all these laws and all this stuff, put in place it is actually taking freedom away from them they're actually becoming more dependent on the government more enslaved to the government instead of having freedom so all the men and women that died to fight for us is in vain if we just freely give it up to socialistic ideas and i don't understand i don't think people really can are conceptualizing that in their head they say oh well everybody deserves health care well everybody does this of course we want to take care of people but we can't feed the whole world and take care of the whole world who's going to work and pay for it money's not an arbitrary thing it actually means something 
but we're printing it off like it means nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, except today, now that uh, they need money, they just run in and crank up the presses. And supposedly, it's amazing to me how many people do not understand that of what putting more money into the system actually does. And they think that, you know, it just automatically makes everything okay because they got the money. But, you know, that decreases the value and everything else when you start just pumping it in there. And I read a research study that said the the, the $12,000 stimulus for an individual will cost them 29000 in inflation over their lifetime. Wow, that's quite a figure. Um, I hadn't even realized it was that much. I knew it was a lot, but I didn't know it was that much. Well, I know that, you know, as people go through this idea of, you know, yeah, free. I like free. I, I see everything being promised. Uh, we got. We're gonna have. I saw Biden the other day say, "When I get in there, everybody's gonna have free education, uh, free college education." Um, people just don't get that it's not free. Somebody has to pay for it, and the people that are working are the people that are paying the taxes, and they're the people that are gonna have to pay for this free schooling. And you know, it's everything free. Free health care. Uh, you can't, nothing's free. And nothing's as, free. As long as we keep going with these people on this, everything's free, you know, that's the narrative and that's what it becomes. You take, you say it enough, people begin to believe it. So how do you. Well, one thing, one thing is too, I was going to say, Rick, about that. If they start saying, okay, we'll give $50,000 to every high school senior. Cause I've heard a candidate say that. Mm-hmm. And. I'm like, no way, because all it's going to make the university do is up their tuition because they know the government's going to pay it. So it doesn't help the government getting involved and trying to help out and trying to give breaks. All it does is work like a domino effect and make everybody rise up to the occasion. Well, how do you counter the discussions and the, the, the narrative that's being put out here on this free, that everything's free? How do you counter it in your positions with your running your candidacy i i just totally am like we have to work and if you have the mindset that you don't have to work then you need to read the bible because the bible says those who don't work don't eat and i don't know where the mentalities come from over the years of it i guess just giving more and more and more money away but it's got to stop and it's got to stop at a low level in education and teaching our children the value of a dollar and the value of hard work it starts at home in the houses and We've just got to we've got to flip the script on this mentality that we've gotten in America because it's wrong. Well, where are you? And speaking of that, where are you on school vouchers, uh, that type of situation? Because I know that being an educator, it's kind of a it's a different position for you because you're both an educator, you're involved in the system, and but a lot of the parents out here on school choice and everything, and they're they're for it. But where do you stand on all this stuff? For total freedom like i'm for total freedom I'm, I'm okay with vouchers but my thing is how is the money going to shift around people don't understand the complexity of how we get money in fte mm-hmm. and how we report back and the accountability to make sure that students are actually being educated and they're not just you know being counted at one school district and getting the funding but they're actually not being you know not being present and so it's just Flipping around between schools is it's a tricky thing, and it has to be something that's really 
looked at, researched, developed. It's not something that you can just flippantly say, okay, I'm getting a voucher and I'm going to this school, but then I'm mad at my teacher. So a month later, I'm going to go to another school. The research shows that if you flip, if a child switches school one time during a school year, they lose six months of education, even though they're in school because every school's at a different place in their, in their study and in their content. And they may have gotten, you know, fractions at one school when they're getting decimals, when they were teaching decimals, they go back and get fractions again, if that makes sense. And so just the school choice thing, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not against it. I'm not saying the government should have total control over where you send your child. I agree. I don't want the government having control of me at all, but we have to do use wisdom and apply wisdom there and ease it into an system that's already established. You don't just totally remove a system and it crumble to the ground. We have to, you know, get people that experts in and look at it. And, you know, like I said earlier with the, with the stimulus check, it's a domino effect. So you have to look at what the result is going to be to make sure your action is correct and the reaction is not worse. Totally agree. You know, the, the big thing with me is, you know, my feeling, it, it, you, I have, I'm all for vouchers. I'm all for people being being able to select a school, especially not be forced to send their children to a school that just does a very lousy job of educating. Uh, they're on record as having a, a problem. But I think that once a person, they need to do their, their research, just like in voting, they need to do their research before they make their choice. And once they make their choice, I think they should be required to stay there for the year. Uh, that yeah, way you, you get more careful on making those choices. And that's something that we have to be put into place. It's like right now what we're dealing with with virtual school yep. choice versus face-to-face. And, you know, we've, we've held them to the semester on that. It has been mass chaos trying to figure out who's on virtual, who's not, getting their assignments to them, and then even have tracking down kids who didn't come back you're missing children. You don't, and some of us have abused children and you don't know, are they dead? Are they kidnapped? Are they in human trafficking? Like where are the kids? And so DFAS is going to have an influx of, of schools calling and reporting children missing. They're going to have to locate. And same, I mean, it, it just has shown this whole situation with COVID and, and the change in here has shown me even more like you have to have something in place and, and it can't be just done overnight. It takes time to look at all the different aspects of it. But yes, I mean, I want to have choice. I want parents to have choice. We shouldn't be tied down and not and not ever have a voice in our own children's education. Totally agree. Well, listen, I could go on for probably another hour talking to you, and, and, and I know that you could because you don't get as much of a an outreach as you'd like. And I hope that people really pay attention to what you've had to say. Uh, we get this out on all the platforms and so that your message will get out and people can, you know, as I say, I stress people have got to have an, make an informed decision this year, regardless of how you vote, know who you're voting for and where they stand before you cast the ballot. Don't do it because mama votes that way. Daddy votes that way. My sister, my third cousin, whatever. Don't vote that way. Make up your own mind based on your own knowledge. Right. Vote for who represents you the best, whoever that is, vote for them. And I like to tell people, you know, I'm Candace Taylor. My name's spelled different. It's spelled K-A-N-D-I-S-S, Taylor.com. You can get look me up on all social media. But vote for who represents you and represents you the best. But I am the one you've been waiting for. Well, I'm different than others. 
Well, you know, you sound like it, and I love hearing what you got to say. If other than that address, is that the only way people if they have more information or want more information they can reach you on? Yeah. So on my email, on my website, I have all of my social media linked. But I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And then my email is Candace Taylor at gmail.com if you want to reach me there. But I'd love to hear from you and what you have to say. If you have any further questions for my interview today, please reach out and ask me. Sounds great. And that's Candace, K A N D I S S Taylor. And, that's right. and she's running for a U.S. Senate seat. Thank you that's very right. much. Well, thank you for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. Remember, you can join us live every Wednesday at 1130 in the morning, or you can listen to our show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com, clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and then, of course, click on Case in Point. Be sure and hit that subscribe button because we need all your participation. Let me know you're there. And join us next week at 1130 when we will talk with business leaders and business individuals about their businesses and related security issues in today's world. Remember, Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.